Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for being with us here on the program today. We come your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday morning at 1 a.m. And then we are also streaming live at um, richarddugan.com. By the way, one other thing, too, is that we're here on uh, Wednesdays at 9 a.m., but throughout the month of December, we have an additional five programs a week, and that's 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. I hope you enjoy the extra programming that we are bringing you and uh, enjoying it in such a way as to share it with other folks as well. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts of these programs are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and a whole bunch of other ones that I don't have the breath for. But we're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We hope that you will do that. Subscribe, select notifications so that the next time we put up a... Uh, uh, we put up a, uh, um, uh, well, what do you call it? Conversation. That's the word. Yeah, that's it. That's the ticket. Then you will be notified of that conversation. We hope you'll do that as well. So with all of that being said, and a reminder that if you'd like to support the work we're doing, uh, we uh, have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And uh, you'll put in the email address of richard at richarddugan.com to support what we're doing. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to, to those who have helped and to those who will help. And also spend some time during this, the decade of perfect vision, to spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice. With all of that being said, we welcome to our program today of special guests. They're all special guests, to be honest with you. Uh, but uh, just because that's the case doesn't make our guest, Dennis Volpe, uh, a very special guest. He is an accomplished executive a performance and transition coach. He's recently authored a captivating book entitled, this is what we're going to talk about, Transition on Purpose. We hope that uh, you stay with us because we're going to find out what that means. I hope this, Dennis, doesn't have anything to do with uh, a, a doctor who I think has since passed, uh, a, a, a Dr. Kevorkian, that kind of thing. Not that oh, kind of transitioning. Sir. Please tell me no. No, sir. Okay. Welcome to the program. Richard, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to uh, our conversation for a while. Well, I, I have to say that um, one of the things that I am I'm most interested in talking about is this conversation about transition. They're going on all the time. And we're talking about transitions in our, in our lives, right? I mean, there are all kinds of different ones. Uh, I have worked for, I'm not even going to try to figure out how many radio stations I've worked for, but I have been through some transitions at some of these stations uh, five times in my career, the transition was that the station was being sold. Right. What was going to happen to me? What was going to happen to the other employees? Um, I've had transitions like, oh, uh, marriage and divorce and then another marriage. So far, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise in spite of all the rain we're getting here in Santa Barbara right now as our conversation goes on. Um, that's not going to happen again. I'm going to do everything I can in my power not to have a second transition like that. 
a transition. I moved out of my parents' house at the age of 21, and the list goes on and on, and I know you have the same kind of thing. What got you interested in this subject of transition, but especially in this case, it sounds to me like we need to be aware and awake, conscious, because you want to do this on purpose, and you can't do it if you're sleepwalking. 100%. And, uh, you know, I... I would say that you had, and everybody has had, but you had a lot of, what you described was change. You actually had a lot of change happen. Mm -hmm. Right, because change is a fact of life. Transition is a choice. Oh, okay. Transition is all about the decisions that we make based on the change that we experience. So transition doesn't always happen. Change does. Okay. Change is a fact. Transition is a choice. Because sometimes people just continue to do the same things they did before. And then they're surprised that they get the same result. Yeah. So, th th there's a word a for that. It's called insanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Einstein was the one that said that. Yep. But uh, but for me, you know, I was, I was a simple kid. Uh, grew up on Long Island. Uh, was uh, blessed enough to uh, to go to the United States Naval Academy. Uh, went in as a uh, as a lacrosse player. Uh, left as a rugby player, um, and also left as a commissioned officer. And uh, had a great career as a naval officer. Never never planned to actually. Uh, you know had had a career by accident. Uh, and uh, really because of September 11th for those for those folks September 11th of 2001. Uh, you know, I graduated from the Naval Academy in 1996, uh, went back there as an instructor, uh, 2001 to 2004, uh, planning to actually get out of the get out of the military and go into federal law enforcement. Uh, but early in 2001, that that wasn't an opportunity uh, because of a federal hiring freeze and some other some other stuff. So for a guy that didn't have a plan, the Navy gave me one. Uh, they said, hey, how about an advanced degree in leadership development? How about teaching leadership at the Naval Academy for an extra year? And how about assigning bonus? Wow. And that's a trifecta, right? Mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> Graduate yeah. education, additional opportunity, and money. Um, so that led me down the path. And uh, I did, uh, you know, 15 more years after that and had uh, the awesome opportunity to be a commanding officer at sea, to be a ship captain, and to be a Navy ship captain. Uh, awesome opportunity. And, um, and during that time, had had an amazing opportunity again to deploy as as a ship captain, and uh, get again the opportunity to get a national tasking mission. You know, one of those things that um, reaches and gets briefed to the highest levels of of the government, uh, both on the defense side and, and the civilian authority side. You know, our national command authority. Uh, and we were supporting the 2014 Sochi Olympics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like to say so close that with your binoculars, you could see the Olympic torch uh, on, on the coast. And uh, we were there and eventually we had to check off station to go get grass, get, it's not grass, gas and groceries. Mm -hmm. uh, so we sailed across the Black Sea. We were entering port, had an operational mishap uh, and ended up running aground and breaking the propeller. Ouch. So deemed non-mission capable during a heightened time of tension in, in the Black Sea. 
And, uh, you know, as a commanding officer, you're ultimately accountable and ultimately responsibility of what happens within, within your command. And uh, two weeks later, I was relieved of command. You know, that's the military term of you got fired. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I went through a two-year period of trying to figure out, am I staying in the Navy? Am I going in the Navy? Uh, you know, leaving the Navy? What am I going to do? Who am I? What matters to me? And all that stuff. That's when transition got important. And mm. that's why I wrote a book. Yeah. Military transition is hard enough. Military transition, not on your terms, is significantly harder. And uh, trying to figure out who you are, what matters to you, and what you're going to do about it, when you literally were on the highest you know, mountain peak uh, as a commanding officer, because what you were doing really, really mattered. Uh, yeah. And then plummeting down into the deepest valley that you could get to personally and professionally, because what you did was who you were. And who you were was what you did. So you had to really figure out your identity. You had to figure out who you were. You had to figure out your values. You had to figure out all of those things. Mm-hmm. Because change happened. Yeah. Was Just to touch upon this, was there any way for you, or a ha- ha- and, and I guess maybe pay- phrasing the question this way, uh, did you have any opportunity following that mishap to redeem yourself? In the you know in your time, I there? stayed in the navy for for uh, for two more years. Okay, uh, and uh, I was an operational planner um, at Naval Forces Southern Command. So our our job was to uh, take care of, support, plan all that stuff, all of our uh, maritime activities in Central and South America. And yeah, absolutely. Um, there was an opportunity to, you know, redeem myself as a naval officer and everything else uh, in the eyes of of those around me. Mm-hmm. But where I had to redeem myself more mm-hmm. was in my heart, in my head, and in my gut. Yeah. Because I, I, up to that point, Richard, I had spent three days of my adult life not in the military. Oh, wow. I was 18 years old, left yeah. high school. Uh, on in New York on June 28th, and uh, I was at the Naval Academy on July 1st. Wow! So you didn't mess around. It was something that you, you, you would you consider it a calling at that uh, time? I, I don't know if it was a calling, Richard, but you know the military for me was a family business. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was was a Marine in Vietnam. I had an uncle who was a Marine uh, in Vietnam. I had a cousin who who was also a Marine. I had uh, an uncle who was a uh, Navy corpsman uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, my my maternal grandfather was in the Navy in the in the Pacific, and my paternal grandfather was in the Army uh, in Europe. So mm. like I said it's a family business, and uh, you know service to the community was also important, right? So I I had an uncle who was a New York City firefighter. I have another uh, uncle who is a paramedic down in Florida. So, you know, that sense of service was instilled upon me at a very, very early age. Hmm. There's a legacy there of first responders at many different levels in your family. It sounds like you're the, the, the history of your, your family. And uh, that's uh, rather impressive. It's one of the reasons why I, uh, I admire uh, the, the um, Israeli culture that requires its men and women 
and I don't know how long, what the length is, to participate in their military for a certain period of time. In other yes, words, this, it's not, it's not, uh, yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, it's a requirement. And there's, you know, there's a part of me, go ahead. Or, or, no, I was going to say, whether you agree or disagree with, with what's going on currently, right. You know, after October 7th, Israel called up 300,000 reservists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 300,000. The United States yeah. Marine Corps is our United States Marine Corps that everybody sees the commercials for and everything else is less than 200,000. Wow. And those are those who are in the Marines right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. By the way, uh, setting aside the whole um, being put in harm's way, I mean, I wish that that was not something that we had to do. But uh, setting that to the side for a moment, the one thing that I admire our military and the, the, the aspect of it that I wish we could we could inject, if you will, or make part of civilian life is that whole aspect of the connectedness that you all have. Um, whether you want to use the phrase, leave no man behind, uh, you have each other's six, uh, and the list goes on. The fact of the matter is, the way that you are trained, you have to work as a unit. You can't go rogue because it doesn't work uh, for, for uh, a military unit for, for some of its uh, members to go off. I mean, what, what would our bodies be if our cells, certain cells decided, ah, I'm going to go off and do this other thing over here. And you get enough of them and eventually the body starts falling apart and you yes, folks sir. can't accomplish things. Even if you're in a community where you're there to serve because of a natural disaster and those kinds of things. Yeah. The, uh, the interesting, you're hundred percent correct. Right. And, and life is a team sport. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's that African proverb out there that, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, you go with friends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, again, I was blessed to have the opportunity to go to the Naval Academy. Mm -hmm. And I was also blessed with the opportunity to be a Navy rugby player. And uh, one of the lessons that you, you learn on a rugby pitch at the Naval Academy is you know, the power of two simple words that I think talk to that connection, talk to that camaraderie that you, you talked about, mm -hmm. right? And when you're going to go into contact with another human on a rugby pitch, uh, if you're a Navy rugger, you're going to hear two words. And those two words are simply with you. Mm. And you'll hear it over, you know, your right shoulder, you'll hear it over your left shoulder. And what that tells you is you've got a guy behind you that is willing to do anything to support you. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, when you have that connection, you have that camaraderie, you can do just about anything. Yeah. I find that it's sad. It used to be this way in sports, baseball in particular. I'm a, I, I am a former baseball fan. I don't know what they're playing today in 2023, but it's not baseball. OK, I I go back to the original 28 teams, uh, 28 teams that uh, Terry Cashman sings about in his songs, Talking Baseball. 
and they played together. And when you won a World Series, most of the players stayed with that team into the next season and the next season. There was a certain level of uh, commitment and loyalty to your team that you were a part of. But I don't know what they're playing today because, you know, and it's kind of sad because I love the game. Uh, uh, Cashman talks about baseball in ballet. Um, what goes on between the lines and, and in the diamond and so forth. Uh, what, it's, it's just a beautiful sport to watch. I'm lucky that I come from a World Series town. I'm originally from Phoenix. I never thought I would. And okay, so we've only won one, but we won one. And yeah, we 100%. beat one of the best teams in the major leagues. And that was the New York Yankees took them to seven games and that was exciting. And that was actually 2001, the year of, of course, nine 11. Um, so, uh, and I miss that. I miss the commitment that ball players, that sports, uh, uh, personalities, um, had to their team and to their teammates, uh, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why I find it so interesting when people, complain about uh why their team isn't doing well well it's probably because they're not playing as a team i think there's one basketball team that consistently year in and year out plays well and believe it or not it ain't in the nba it's the harlem globetrotters you ever you've seen them play right i have multiple times oh my gosh they have individual talents there's no question but boy when they get on the court and they play i mean really play they're unbeatable well, and I would I would say um, that it has a lot to do with you know what's the purpose, what's the mission of the Harlem Globetrotters? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what is they've that? Got a, they've got a broader purpose. Yeah, they've got a broader mission that they can tie themselves into. You know, you start looking at some of the some of the things that have been put into place whether it's the college football trends, you know, the, the portal mm -hmm. um, or whatever, you know, organizations have put mechanisms in place to take away that connection, that camaraderie, that commitment in, and why? Arguably for, for money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're talking with uh, a gentleman here who um, has spent time in the military and brings that experience, especially uh, as he is sharing with us about his latest book, Transition on Purpose. Dennis Volpe is my guest. DennisVolpe.com is the website, which will be linked to. Let me just spell that out for you because there's a hyphen in there, folks. D-E-N-N-I-S hyphen V-O-L-P-E Dot com. That's Dennis-Volpe.com. We will be linked to that website so that you can find out more about the work that he is doing uh, through this uh, work that he has that we're sharing today called Transition on Purpose. Was there a specific catalytic event that inspired you to go down this path to write this book and to share, because you do coaching as well. You've got workshops and you do speaking engagements and so forth, so forth. But to sit down, because it takes a lot of commitment to write a book. I ought to know I've been working on for 22 years, believe it or not. <laughs> and that's primarily because I've been procrastinating. 
Uh, but what was your um, inspirational moment, shall we say, catalytic moment? I don't know that it was a specific moment, Richard. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, what motivated me to write a book? And uh, it wasn't anything impressive to be completely transparent is because I had a lot of friends, had a lot of colleagues that were constantly telling me, or shall we say, shooting on me, uh, that I should write a book. And uh, because I have a story to tell. And the interesting part of my story is that it's not unique. Right? There's, there's a lot of people that have had professional misfortune that has changed the direction of their lives. Lots of people, mm -hmm. you know, this story just happens to be personal yeah. for me. Um, and I was lucky enough uh, to have the opportunity to go through the Columbia executive coaching program. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the professors and the mentors there, uh, we would talk about transition a lot. And we would talk about the Columbia coaching framework. And I started thinking about, you know, how I looked at transition and how that coaching framework fit into it or mm -hmm. how my transition framework fit into that Columbia coaching model of, well, let's identify what's up. Let's identify, you know, what, what's reality? What's success? What do I value? Uh, and then, you know, what's what's next but also in between that is what matters in terms of what are my expectations what are my constraints what are my restraints what are my priorities and then in terms of what's next well who is going to do it with me how am i doing mentally physically socially emotionally and then finally what's the plan knowing that the plan is going to change but looking at it in that like a three-step process with mini steps or sub steps in, in there was, was super helpful, you know? So looking at it in terms of, you know, what's up, what's, what's the reality, what matters, you know? So connecting your head and your heart, and then finally what's next, connecting your head, your heart, your gut and your feet, uh, because action is what's, what matters. Mm. Action absolutely does matter because nothing gets done without it. I mean, you can think it all you want. You can talk about it with people, jot it down on a piece of paper, whatever. And that's great because that's the starting point. But nothing gets done if there is no action taken, a physical action. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we start the uh, video recording so that we can record uh, these programs that we bring your way. Transition on purpose. Dennis Volpe, my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it is a real pleasure to have you here on the program to talk about this because being on purpose, boy, that is uh, something that we've talked about endlessly on this program because a lot of people aren't on purpose. They have not found, in many cases, their purpose. Will reading this book help people to maybe begin the process of maybe finding out what it is that they're here to do, what their life's purpose is? Because it seems to me like you found yours. I'd like to think so. Uh, you know, as as a coach and a consultant at the Leadership Research Institute, you know, our, our mission is is to transform leaders to transform the world. I know it sounds like motherhood and apple pie and all that stuff, but if you're going to change the world, 
you got to start in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And the only way to lead, you know, teams, organizations, and communities is to be able to lead yourself first. And that's what the, you know, transition on purpose, um, you know, does. It provides a framework to think about what matters to you, you know, what really matters to you in terms of how do you define success? You know, what are your core values? Um, what are your priorities? What are your expectations? What energizes you? What de-energizes you? How do you create, you know, the boundaries that need to be created? How do you create a tribe that's going to make you better today than you were yesterday and better tomorrow than you were today? How are you going to look at yourself, you know, holistically so you can be the most resilient version of you? You know, how do you look at your, your your mind? How do you look at your body? How do you look at your tribe? And how do you really look at your why? And then how do you plan? Knowing that your plan is going to change because your priority is going to change because change is a fact of life and transition is a choice. So that's what the book does. It's about self-awareness. It's about exploration. But most importantly, like you said, Richard, it's about action. With this this process um, of being purposeful, I guess that's kind of the the word of the day, if you will, being purposeful, being on purpose. Um, what are some of the techniques that you use? And I, I'm thinking that this is a this is a, a correct way to phrase this because of the coaching that you do to wake people up. I mean, you can only do so much, I know. I mean, it's, it takes action on the part of those uh, involved with you uh, in, in your coaching. But what are some of the techniques you use to wake people up, to, to, to shake them so that they realize, oh, oh, I need to be doing something? Usually, not actually not usually, all the time, I ask one of the initial questions that I ask Anyone, I get the opportunity to do, you know, whether it's small business coaching, whether it's personal one-on-one coaching, uh, whatever it is, whether it's transition coaching, uh, whether it's a mentor conversation, it doesn't matter. How have you defined success for you? Mm. How have you defined success? And when you talk about success, what does it look like? But more importantly, what does it feel like? And getting folks to connect, you know, one of the longest, loneliest roads that exists on the planet is only about 18 inches long. Mm. It's connecting your head and your heart. And it's a road a lot of people don't take because it's scary, it's bumpy, and it doesn't get a whole lot of use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I do is work with folks to connect their head and their heart. So not only are they doing stuff on purpose, but they're doing it intentionally. And, you know, one of the exercises is, well, let's, let's stop talking about what you're passionate about, right? Because I really don't care what you're passionate about. Because I want to know what's your purpose. And passion is a part of that. It's not the only part. Right. And so how do you take that passion? How do you take that energy and put it in a box of purpose? And what are the other sides of that box? Well, the first one is, how have you defined success? 
for you, not for anybody else, right? but for you and those who matter to you. And then what do you value? You know, what are your core values, your personal core values? And diving into that, creating the time and space to not only, you know, what are my core values? How do I define them? What are the behaviors that are associated with them? And how do I prioritize them? Because when you start thinking about the actions that you're going to take, based on the opportunities that, that exist and present themselves, your core values ought to be the first filter you use to make a decision. Hmm. And then, go ahead. No, no, you continue. And then, all right, well, based on how you've defined success, based on that next side of that box in terms of what do you value, well, what energizes you? fills you know your soul what are the things that you get to do that energize you and literally fill your tank yeah but also identifying those things that drain you and you know i was you know i, I said i went to the naval academy i also went to summer school at the naval academy for calc too so you know you got to make it simple for me right you need to do more of those things that energize you and less of those things that de-energize but also identifying the problems that you want to solve and be part of the solution for. And then what are you passionate about? Because you might be passionate about things that you don't necessarily want to solve, but you need to know what you're passionate about. Yeah. And then finally, you need to know what type of organization, what type of team, or what type of community you want to be a part of in order to provide those solutions and do the work that energizes you, that's in accordance with how you've defined success and what you value personally. I know that's that, the work that we do yeah. around transition. Well, I know that uh, uh, people don't just uh, walk in off the street. I mean, they. Uh, it, it, to me, it's it's similar to um, acquiring acquiring a pet, like a dog, and in your case, for example, like your dog Nimitz. Uh, by the way, what kind of dog is your is Nimitz? Uh, he well, he was a rescue. Um, unfortunately, he passed away last year. Oh, um, but uh, he was a lab chow mix. And why Nimitz? Because I'm a Navy guy. Yep, I kind of got that. <laughs> I got that. Yes, the USS Nimitz. Yes, absolutely. Um, but are the animals that come into our lives? They choose us. They come to us. So when people choose you, they obviously have already made at some level a commitment to themselves to saying, you know, I like what he's saying and I, I'm missing this in my life, dot, 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 dot. So I'm going to go there. It's not like uh, you pulled them in off the street and they have no clue as to what's happening and they really didn't make the choice. They got, they got uh, they caught up in a net of some sort. Uh, so obviously they're coming there knowing that, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to dig deep. Do you find that some folks, uh, you got to obviously dig deeper because they're sometimes they're really caught up in more of the material because a lot of what you talk about, in spite of the fact that the action that we referred to earlier, which is required is in the material world. All right. Um, they they their success may be tied up in their bank account and in their car and in their house 
and not necessarily in the people that are around them, like their family, if they have a, a wife or a husband or children and so forth and so on, relatives, mother, father, sisters, brothers. Uh, for me, for example, success, sure, I would love to have a lot more money in my bank account, but not at the expense of what I like to call the community that I have created in my life between my mother, my sisters, my brother, the people here in Santa Barbara, you, because now you are a part of my community. Um, does that, does you've obviously developed techniques to sort of break through those superficial success uh, items. Yes. And success is very, very personal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had, you know, the opportunity to coach for the past seven years. And I don't want to, I don't want to say that I've coached everybody because I haven't, mm -hmm. but I've coached across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, in terms of, you know, director level stuff at some of the, some of the big tech companies to, you know, that transitioning uh, soldier, sailor, airman, Marine, Coast Guardsman, Space Force person, you know, getting out of the military. And, you know, young business analysts from one of the big five consultant firms to, and, you know, the list goes on. And that definition of success is in fact personal. Because when, you know what, if somebody wants to talk about transition and they're 24, 25, 26 years old, and their definition of success is, I want to make this amount of money. That's their definition and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But something, someone like you that says, you know what, money isn't the most important thing for me. Community is the most important thing to me. Mm -hmm. And I get asked, you know, when I ask that question, you know, what, how do you define success? Um, you know, Sometimes I get the question straight back at me. Well, how do you define success? And um, for me, now it's really, really simple. It's being able to live a life based on my core values mm -hmm. of autonomy. You know, being able to have a conversation with you, you know, on a, on a Wednesday afternoon for me, right? And for you, because it's afternoon over there. But uh, <laughs> be, being able to live life on my terms. To, yeah. to do the work that I want with the people that I want to spend time with the people who matter on my terms. Yeah. But then, you know, how do I make sure that impact? And I told you the mission of the Leadership Research Institute is to transform leaders so they can transform the world. My mission is a little bit different. It's a little bit more nuanced. Mm -hmm. I look for the opportunity to transform leaders so they can transform their world. However they define it, personally, yeah. professionally, whatever. Right. right. So that's the impact for me. And then similar to you, you talk about community. I talk about connection. Mm -hmm. Right. Connection matters to me. The opportunity. And I would, you know, I'm pretty energized because I had breakfast with a really good friend. Right. I live up in New Hampshire. He lives down in Texas. Uh, he had some work to do in Boston. So we met halfway for breakfast and we both left energized because that's a person you know who I, who I have in my life that is one of my energizers. Yeah, yeah. And he said, you know what? I, this is exactly what I needed. And then finally, you know, is security. You know, there's a financial component to to happiness, to success. Sure. 
It was funny because I saw a sign today that says, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. It was at the breakfast place, right? Money doesn't yeah. buy happiness, but money can buy chickens. <laughs> and chicken lay and chickens lay eggs. That's right. And I like to have eggs for breakfast, and that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just happen to have chickens who lay eggs, lots of them, and uh, there you they, go. we love them. We love them. Uh, I, now, first of all, let me preface this by saying I want to address this next question apolitically. Okay. Sure. All I want to do is look at the concept of leadership and the qualities of a real leader. And I want to ask you for your observation, and this is serious because of what we are heading into in 2024, your observation of the quote unquote leaders that we have at the national level, would you label any of them or some of them or none of them as having leadership qualities? Because I have to tell you, and this, this is on, I don't care which side of the aisle it is. I have a real problem with a group of people, quote unquote, community, that is not dealing with what is called the people's business. I don't see leaders. I see followers. I see, I see sheeple, if you want to put it in that context. And I've, I'd bring that down to the state level as well. And it's very troubling to me. Um, I still see leaders in our military, strong leaders, because they have a purpose they have a focus, they have a goal, and that is to be prepared. What are your thoughts? And if you want to generalize it, that's fine. We don't have, I don't necessarily, I don't even want to go into specifics uh, of individuals. I, I just, I'm, I'm disappointed in the quality of individuals that we have at, at, at our governing levels. Well, I think it, it starts with, you know, how do you define leadership? That's and I important. got asked that question the other day by, by a potential client. And I turned the question back to them. How do you define leadership? <laughs> uh, and, you know, we went back and forth and back and forth. And I said, leadership is about influence. Leadership is about having the influence to enable mm -hmm. people, teams, organizations to do the work that needs to get done. And, you know, when I think about leadership or I think about leaders, I think about two things. I think about trust because leadership doesn't happen without it. Right, right. And credibility. And when I think about credibility, you know, I think about five things. First is competence. Do they actually know their job? Mm -hmm. Do they have the requisite skills? Character. Do they do what they say? Composure. How do they deal with adversity? Courage. Are they able to make the hard decisions and have the hard conversations? And then finally, care for people. 
Do they do that work in the best interest of the people that they serve? Mm. I'm wondering if the same thing isn't true within the context of the corporate world, business, uh, you know, and that type of thing. I love the small businesses, the mom and pops, the the uh, uh, small retailers and so forth, because they live in the community, they work in the community, they shop, they play and so forth. Uh, but some of these big, big corporations that, quote unquote, are too big to fail. I just think you've lost you've lost your humanity somehow. Uh, I, I still haven't figured out yet how a corporation has been deemed a person. <laughs> that That is perplexing to me. Where's the heart? Where are the lungs? Where's the brain? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's just it's just an interesting observation on my part. But, yeah, I, I think that definitions and we do that a lot on this program. We want to define terms. Uh, you know, you said uh, a change is what happens. Transition is what you do when something happens. Uh, someone actually shared with me because I talked about how, um, you know, we're here to um, um give people, you know, to, to give people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. And when they talk about, when I talk about knowledge of those choices, it's to explain what the choice is, how it works and so forth. This is what we're doing here with transition yeah. on purpose. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, we uh, somehow I, I used the word, uh, you know, how to change. Uh, and they said, well, you might want to change the word, ironically, uh, from change to transform, because with change, you could always change back. But to transform, and I thought, well, wait a minute, couldn't you transform back? And I, I don't know, maybe one goes both ways and the other one only goes one way. Um, and again, I know in some cases we're playing semantics. We're just playing yeah. with words. Yeah. What are we going to do with those words? Uh, and I believe that words have power. You do not use words that you use for no reason at all. You're using them to get an idea across, as you talk about with a leader, to uh, hopefully inspire and motivate others uh, to, to understand where you're coming from and maybe to join you in accomplishing something, in taking action. Um, I know that, that again, working for several different stations, they've all been small, small staffs. And we were knit together. We were close knit because we had a purpose. And that was to make sure, number one, we stayed on the air. Number two, to, to provide the programming to stay on the air, to serve the, the programmers who purchased time on the station. And that's really been the goal here at this station that I work for currently is I mean, my boss's motto is, and you know, he reminds me of it, especially when I get frustrated with programmers who, who you know, they say or do this or that or the other thing is, we're here to serve, period. We are here to serve. Is that a quality uh, that a leader should have uh, in addition to all of the other things that you mentioned, that they are there to serve, not to be served. Oh, 100, 110%. Uh, you know, a leader's responsibility 
mm -hmm. is to serve their organization, regardless of how big or how small it is, mm -hmm. and provide them with the opportunities, provide them with the resources to do whatever it is that they want them to do. And you know, I, I look at leadership as an inverted pyramid where the leader is actually on the bottom and he or she is literally holding it up, providing that support, providing those resources and everything else. And when you start thinking about, because I got, I got asked a question from someone I work with, you know, I'm, I'm new in my role. Can you break it down for me? If I had to think about three or four things as a brand new leader, what would they be? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I thought back to, you know, one of those conversations I had with when I was like a brand new ensign where it was even hard for me to figure out which was the pointy end of the ship and which was the flat end, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, you had somebody say, you know what, sir, you need to pay attention to these four things. And you're like, oh, well, what are they? They're like access to you, access to you. So that way we know what matters to you. We need to know what you value. And really, we need to know what you expect of us. You know, providing explicit expectations of what you want and why you want it. Mm -hmm. So the first one is access. And then it's alignment. Alignment of what you say and what you do. You know, I, again, I, my, my second ship was the USS Gettysburg, a guided missile cruiser. And, uh, you know, our, every ship has got a motto. And that motto was deeds, not words. So you need to make sure as a leader that your words and your deeds, the stuff you say and the stuff you do are aligned and that the gap between those two are as small as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And then it's about acknowledgement. You need to acknowledge the behavior mm -hmm. and the actions that are in alignment with what you told people mattered to you. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing, and this is usually where most leaders struggle, is accountability mm -hmm. and holding people accountable when they don't do what needs to get done or they don't do the things that ought to be done in a way they, you know, need to be done. Yeah. So it's really good to give everybody a pat on the back, but sometimes you need to get a, you need to get a kick somewhere too. And uh, that's the hard part. But mm -hmm. the key thing about leadership is once you fail to hold people accountable for certain actions, certain behaviors, that now becomes acceptable behavior because you as a leader didn't do anything about it. It's interesting. Which goes back to that yeah. apolitical question that you asked. I think that's the biggest issue in America is accountability because there is none. Yeah. I know that um, since we have an extremely small staff at this station, um, my boss, who's the GM, I'm the operations manager. And then we have one part-time employee who works a few days a week here. I'm here every day. The boss is here on occasion. And the part-timer is only here uh, maybe one day, two days a week. So if something goes wrong during the week and I'm here, guess who's responsible? I have found that it is a lot easier to take responsibility than to try to hide it, to explain it away 
because if I take responsibility, it goes away. I don't have to deal with it anymore. And I think about that in terms of, for example, um, politicians in particular who get caught in some discretion. And I didn't do it. It's not me. It was someone that looked like me. It's this and that and the other thing. And the media chases that for days and days and days. The guy who says, yeah, I screwed up. I, I shamed myself, my family, uh, my position in, 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 in the legislature, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. It goes away. There's nothing more that anybody can say to them or question them about because they've acknowledged I screwed up. And it's like people just don't want to understand that if you will just own it. And I, I you know, I, I'm not perfect by any means, but I, I know there were times when I wanted to explain it away. Oh, that was a computer glitch. No, I hit a keystroke and it, it did this, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, accountability. That's that's a that's a seems like it's a hard one, but I think my parents taught me well. I'm also grateful that my mother, who is 89, is still with us today, and grateful that my father <clears throat> taught me a lot of these things as well. Um, and um, to hear my sisters at his memorial say that you know he was one of the most honest men that they knew, and it's like wow, I'm. You know, it's not that I have any counter to that. It's, oh, no, well, there was this and this. No, no, no. It's like, wow, for them to say that about my our dad. Wow, that's, I'm glad. I'm, I'm very happy that that was the way that he was. Um, and I could see that in him. And when I think back to, to my experiences with him and the memories that I have, do you see that uh, things are changing in any way shape or form in that regard to 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 uh, uh people taking accountability because i find that you know there are a lot of people who like to follow they just want to accept what's being told them and and off they go instead of sometimes thinking for themselves and i understand again in the military yeah you can think for yourself but you better be careful how you present what you're thinking because <laughs> it could get you into trouble or do something based upon what you're thinking. And again, that's kind of down that, what, that rogue path, if you will, because you're part of a team. Um, for example, when I train people, I train them in the way that something should be done. And then I tell them, now I've shown you how I do it. I don't care how you do it as long as you get the result. But I don't think that works in the military. You have to do things the same way. Everybody's got to do certain things. Like if you, let's say you're loading the torpedo bay. It has to be done the same way every time. You can't get creative and, and, and what have you. Or you could kill yourself, damage or blow up the boat, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about um, individuality, how that works within Th those confines of the military versus uh, saying, look, yeah, you're an individual, but you're also a part of this, this group, this cohesive, a group of people. No, and, and I appreciate the question. And I think it starts with, and I'll, I'll look at it from an officer perspective. Uh, as a military officer, you take an oath and your oath 
is to the Constitution of the United States. Mm -hmm. It's not to a person. Mm -hmm. So that's where your allegiance goes. Now, mm -hmm. are there times where um, you're required to do things a certain way? Yes. But there's a reason why the United States military is the most trusted organization in the United States. It's because our leadership routinely exhibits the Constitution mm -hmm. over anything else. And when you have the the you know you when you have that, when you have something like that, it provides you a backstop around all that you do, right? So your oath is to the Constitution. And if you're if if you're in the Navy, your job, your mission is to be able to conduct prompt and sustained combat operations at sea. And that's where all that's where all your decisions go to. Whatever that decision is, how is that impacting the mission? Right? Because it's mission first, sailors always. Hmm. How does that impact the mission? And when I was a commanding officer, you know, that was kind of the decision matrix. You know, is this good for the Navy? Is this good for the ship? Is this good for the sailor? Right. But the organization came first. Mm -hmm. Because that was the mission. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I love talking with you about this because it 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 helps to reinforce in my own mind, even though I think this way for the most part, um, <clears throat> that it is possible um, to have an organization, whether you want to call it a family, uh, a corporation, a company, whatever, however, however you want to deem it, or a military. Um, and I've never, quite honestly, I've never understood the breakdown in terms of, uh, uh, you know, what is a, uh, a platoon versus a brigade versus, and you know how it's all broken down. Oh, yes, I was in the 1st Infantry uh, Group, yep. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's like, okay, how many guys were in that? Well, there were only six, but you were also part of a bigger group, right? And how many were in that? Well, there were 112. Uh, but that was also part of another group that was even, it's like, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. And actually <laughs> the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps is actually you know, in the process of changing some of that. You know, again, I learned all of that stuff in the, in, in the early nineties. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, how did you keep track of it? Well, it depends on you're talking to Marine stuff, you're talking Navy stuff. Um, you know, you've got on Navy ships, you've got divisions, you've got departments, you've got ships, and then you got ships that are part of squadrons, um, <laughs> and all of those things. But if you're talking, you know, you know, men and women with, with rifles and, and backpacks, uh, you know, Molly packs or Alice packs or whatever, you know, it used to be that there was three people, uh, in a fire team and there was three fire teams in a squad. And then there was three squads in a platoon <laughs> and there was, you know, and it went on and on and on and on. Yeah, and then, exactly. you know, so, but at the end of the day, uh, to your point, I don't know that it matters, you know, how big or how small mm -hmm. an organization is. 
you know, part of our responsibility as a leader is about that character piece, mm -hmm. right? Whomever, whatever the organization is, whether it's the Navy, whether it's that small business, you get paid to do the right thing the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Full stop. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's funny, I was having a conversation earlier today about the one of the phrases that really, really, you know, kind of irritates me because you hear it kind of you, you hear it often, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. And that couldn't be so far from the truth. Because what if you're doing something that doesn't really matter? Hmm. Are you going to put 110% effort into that? Mm. If you are, you're going to get burned out a lot faster than somebody that is able to prioritize and that is able to align his or her energy, attention, and effort on the stuff that does really matter mm -hmm. and let the other stuff fall where it may. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis Volpe is my guest. <clears throat> Dennis Pardon me, Dennis Volpe uh, is joining us here. Dennis-Volpe.com is the website. We will be linked to that website so folks can get in touch with you, Dennis, to find out more about the work you're doing, maybe even get involved in some coaching. Uh, I, I, I got to tell you that um, uh, I, I try to take advantage of, of uh, whatever uh, our, pro, our guests uh, offer, whether it's uh, through the pages of the book, which is certainly very instructive, um, instructional, if you will. Uh, but also uh, encourage people to uh, take advantage of uh, just the opportunity to say, uh, hey, I, I got a couple of questions of my own and, you know, to, to, that I, I could use some help with. And uh, many of our guests are just open to doing that kind of thing. So most appreciative to uh, your being here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and uh, we are talking about transition on purpose uh, this is Dennis Volpe's book. It's his latest work. Um, and uh, would you say that uh, the majority of what you share in this book comes from uh, your your uh, experience in the military? Some of it, uh, mm -hmm. not all of it. Some, uh, I would say probably upwards of 60 to 70 percent of the stuff that's in that book uh, is my experience outside of the military. Mm. or during that transition period. And um, because that transition period for me pro is probably still going on, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, what did I find, particularly through my own transition and also through some of the volunteer transition coaching that I've done and also from, from the career transition coaching and leadership coaching that I've done in terms of, you know, the five big barriers to success. And that came out of, you know, post-military life. You know, first, the first one, and we've talked about it already, is a lack of self-awareness about what really matters. Because mm -hmm. people get on, because people. Really matters at the end of our life or journey on earth, Hold on one second. No, no problem. It's uh, sometimes will happen. We'll have, even have animals who will walk through the program pop their guests so uh where where we uh we appreciate the uh the liveness so to speak yeah, of, uh, of what we're doing you go right ahead and continue but uh you know the five big barriers to success the first one being you know a lack of self-awareness because people just get into life 
and they don't give themselves the time and space to say, this is what really matters to me. This is what success looks like. This is where I'm at relative to that definition. You know, these are the challenges. This is the gap that I really want to get after. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is a lack of self-management to put in those boundaries because you don't add that awareness. And then we already talked about, you know, confusing change and transition, you know, change being a fact, transition being the choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then confusing, and a lot of military men and women, including myself, were guilty of this, confusing resilience with endurance or perseverance, realizing that resilience is our ability to lean into adversity and pivot and make changes and make choices and come out better on the other side. That's what resilience is all about. Mm -hmm. It's not all about leaning into adversity and leading into adversity and leading into adversity and keep on going. Yeah. And then finally, it's a, an innate fear to ask for support. And mm. notice I didn't use the word help. I used to use the word help. And what I've learned is leaders don't like to ask for help. Yeah. Because it, you know, it makes us look weak in some way. So change the word, right? You talked about, you know, um, is it just about the word? And I think it's a mindset. Uh, I was I was doing some work with a local construction company and the CEO, the founder of that company, huge, huge ego, not in a bad way, an amazing human, good mm -hmm. human, you know, serving human. Um, and he readily admitted, he's like, I don't like to ask for help. But when you told me that I could ask for support, it changed my entire paradigm. Hmm. What support can you provide? Interesting. How can you support me in this? Just by changing the word. Just by changing the word. Interesting. Because I know life, that. Go ahead. I was going to say life is a contact sport, right? I said, you know, I, I played yeah. lacrosse as a kid. I played football as a kid, played rugby, right? So I understand contact sports. I do. And life is a contact sport. But one of the key pieces to, to understand about transition is that, yes, life is a contact sport, but it's also a team sport. And we get to choose our team. And I think mm. it's Proverbs 13, 20. Um, I'm, I'm more spiritual than I am religious. So if I got it wrong, I apologize. But if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Well, at the end of the day, if you're the smartest girl or the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. You're in the wrong room because the people in that room likely are not going to challenge you to be better. Yeah. They can't. Yeah. Oh, you just walked into a question that I love asking in this regard. You talk about success, what it is, define it. So I'm going to ask you, go in the other direction. How important is failure in this process? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Uh, I was, again, lucky enough to go to a program uh, at Tuck uh, Business School, Dartmouth University. It's called the Tuck Next Step Program. And what they did was, or what they do, they still do it. It's a military transition program, but they... It's also a transition program for Olympic and elite athletes. 
So you got military men and women and, you know, former and current Olympic and elite athletes all in the same room. You've got half the room where failure was never an option, right? Being in mm -hmm. the military, you can't fail, right? Because failure usually ends with people losing their lives. And then you have Olympic and elite athletes where failure was a daily, daily occurrence. And the only way they got better was to fail. And yeah. one of the best parts, and you know, my friend and I talked about this this morning, one of the best parts or the best instruments that I've taken away from my military experience is the AAR process, right? The after action report process. Mm -hmm. You know, what did we do well? But more importantly, what did we do not so well that we either need to improve on or we can't do it that way ever, ever again? But in order to understand and really relish and embrace success mm -hmm. is you need to know what failure feels like. Yeah. Because if you've never experienced failure, you don't understand how sweet success is. Yeah. Yeah, I was in a uh, <clears throat> a production this past weekend as of our conversation. Uh, it's an organization called the uh, Revels, and they're all over the country, including in uh, back in uh, New England, uh, the Cambridge Revels, I believe it is. And uh, the Santa Barbara Revels puts on every year a holiday uh, program. Well, as we get together um, every Monday night for choral rehearsal we get together once saturday a month from september october and into november and into december uh for a full cast rehearsal with blocking the whole the whole shoot match and i was given <clears throat> several uh, uh verses of a song to sing throughout one portion of uh, uh, christmas in the trenches it's another subject we could talk about too but we won't go there right now and the first time that I went up to do my part, I wasn't sure because it's like, okay, but the director really hasn't given me any direction. So I timidly walked up to the position where the blocking was to go and the director went berserk. Now, <clears throat> um, we did it again, second time around that day. And he went berserk again in that, you know, he says, you know, he's telling me, he says, I would rather you do something than nothing and so forth. And ordinarily, I would have probably crumbled. I don't take criticism. real well. I've gotten much better at it. And so after we were done with the rehearsal, he came out during break and he put his arm around me. He says, look, you know, that wasn't personal. I'm just passionate about this and I just want what's, I want the best out of everybody. And I would rather you do something, even if it was wrong, than not do anything at all. Obviously, as the, as we progressed through the, uh, uh, through the program and through the rehearsals, I got better and better at it to the point where when we did the performances, I'm jumping up and I'm ready to go. And I am so into the character which is, you know, was amazing that <clears throat> um, I'm tearing up. I can't, I am tearing up over the fact that I am so into character thinking there's this German soldier who's singing silent night and, and has put down their weapons and I'm walking up to share with them. I, I, I shake his hand. I hand this flask because part of the line is that we shared a secret brandy and so forth. And I'm tearing up thinking, oh, my God. 
And in just a little while, we're going to go back to shooting each other. Why? I mean, that's, I was so into it and I'm, I can hardly wait to see the video when they, when they put it, bring it out. But that's one of those things that, that you've talked about throughout this program. And that is that it's, you know, you've got to take action. And finally I did. And it felt right for the first time. <laughs> My doing what I was doing felt right. It felt good. It felt like I was, I was where I needed to be at the time. Is that uh, uh, an awareness that we get when we start to take action in the transition on purpose? Yes, because you're going to feel it. And when mm. you can feel it, you know, that's the alignment, right? When you can align your head and your heart and you know, and then ultimately your gut, right? Because your gut is kind of like the action, le you know, lever. Um, that's, that's why alignment is so important. And, you know, when you start talking about and I think there's two things there, right? The the director did two things, right? He he provided his expectations, and he created the environment for you to be able to do what you did. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of of the leadership equation: explicit expectations of performance, and then creating the environment, the psychological safety and the resources for people to do what you expect them to do. Yeah. Right. So that, that, that's, that's that part, but then the personal leadership side, right? How do I lead myself? Once you know those expectations and you want to go all in. Yeah. That's when you got to align your head and yeah. heart. The sidebar on that was that um, the, the, the guy that was playing the German soldier standing there uh, facing me as I'm, delivering the lines starts to cry too. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got to tell you, in spite of the fact that it made it a little more difficult to sing the lines, I didn't, it's like, I don't care. There's just something about this presentation of this event that took place a hundred more than a hundred years ago. Uh, that, that just really, really touched me. Um, you know, in a very profound way. And, uh, and I'm glad that it did. And that's one of the things I love about doing those kinds of things is that it isn't just about getting up on stage and acting and doing the things that we're doing. We end up becoming affected and impacted by those activities, those actions. Have you ever uh, been in any kind of production like that or done anything like that? Singing, dancing. <laughs> so, interestingly enough, um, I went through a couple of transition programs, uh, military transition programs at a place called Camp Southern Ground. Mm -hmm. And it is a special place. It is sacred ground. Um, not sure what kind of music you listen to, but Camp Southern Ground is... Zach Brown band, Zach Brown of the Zach Brown band, it's his creation. Uh -huh. uh, so he's his goal in life or one of his goals in life was that he was a, he was a camp counselor as a kid. And he said, I, at some point, I want to have my own camp where kids all across the spectrum, socioeconomic, autism, all that stuff can go. 
and feel seen, feel heard, feel valued. Mm. And, you know, that's June, July, and August in Georgia. Mm -hmm. But what are you going to do with that place for the rest of the year? Yeah. They do military transition program. Mm. And uh, so there's a Warrior Week program, uh, and then there's a Warrior Path program. And both of them have an interesting part to them. They bring in songwriters. Mm -hmm. And you have to write a song about your transition, about where you are in life and where you're going. Wow. You don't sing it, which is probably good for everybody based <laughs> on you know, my, my singing ability. But, uh, you know, the songwriter sings it. Mm -hmm. And you you normally do it with a small group of people. Yeah. Uh, so it's not quite the same as as your performance, but I got to tell you, from a you know, it was one of the most cathartic experiences I've had in my life. It's similar to uh, something I did about three years ago uh, with a gal here in Santa Barbara. She's the facilitator. Worked one on one with her to write what is referred to as my song, similar to what you're talking about. And, uh, and I have sung it, uh, to, uh, some groups of people. I think we were at a nursing home or something like that. And I got a lot of compliments because of where that song came from. The title of course is I'm a good man. The lyrics, I'm a good man doing the best I can. And a lot of guys, they, they could connect with that. And, and I thought, wow, okay, well, it wasn't my intent, but I'm glad that, you know, <laughs> I wrote it for me, you know, but I'm glad that other people were touched by it. And then, and that's, that's very cool. I have one other question I want to ask you. Um, it's, um, let's see if I can, uh, uh, see if I can recall the, 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 the context here, uh, having to do with, um, uh, an interview that I did has to have been 10 years ago. And it was with a documentarian who did a, 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 a movie, a documentary um, called, I think it was just called Welcome. Uh, and it had, it was, uh, it followed uh, these, the lives or not so much the lives, but this similar to what you're talking about <clears throat> there in Georgia, where they would bring these veterans in to help them to process through work through some of the issues that sometimes would trigger the PTSD and those PTSD and those kinds of things. And I was interviewing the, the producer and, and I said, so do you think, and I kind of put this question to you as well, because I'd love your, your perspective on this. Do you think that uh, uh, we need to work harder on helping the veterans to transition to civilian life? And he says, no, Absolutely not. He says, we need to teach civilians how to, metaphorically speaking, transition to military life in terms of their acceptance of veterans. Something along those lines that civilians do not understand and need to understand where these men and women are coming from. And not the other way around. So I agree and disagree. Okay. Um, the military makes up about 1% of the American population. Give or take. Mm -hmm. So I think everyone um, needs to read 
Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, because it talks about military transition mm -hmm. and it talks about honoring warriors and it talks about all of those things. But if you want to help military transition, and this goes back to something we talked about a little bit earlier, create a country that's worthy of the sacrifice that our military men and women make. You want to help military transition? Create a country that military men and women will sacrifice for, mm -hmm. or that is worthy of their sacrifice. And then that military transition will be significantly easier. Mm -hmm. But if I you go his... overseas, and this is a personal opinion of mine, mm -hmm. if you go overseas and you have to see things, do things that are good, bad, or indifferent because of our national interests, and you come back and you see all the social, you know, discord and everything else that's going on in America right now. And you see that the American way of life, I don't know who said it, uh, you know, if you don't do anything about it, the American way of life is about one generation away from extinction. Mm -hmm. That's what causes a lot of the struggles in the military community. Because they often look at what's going on in our country and question whether or not it's worth the sacrifice that they made and their, you know, shipmates, yeah. company mates, platoon mates, squad mates, fire team mates made. Yeah. So be a good, you want to help military transition? I'm going to make it as simple as I can, Richard. Be a good human. Care about the person next to you and create community. That's what'll help military transition. Dennis Volpe is my guest. His book is uh, Transition on Purpose, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with Dennis Volpe, and I want to ask you three final questions. I ask all of my guests at the end of the program. But first, I want to thank you, first of all, for sharing with us uh, the work that you have created through this book. Uh, and we encourage people to get a copy of it by going to your website, dennis-volpe.com, which we will be linked to. That's D-E-N-N-I-S hyphen V-O-L-P-E dot com. Please go there, get yourself a copy of the book. And uh, I'm curious also, just uh, this is a side question, is it available yet in audible form? It is not. Um, I like to say that, uh, you know, I've got I've got a face for radio and, and a voice <laughs> for silent movies. Uh, so I haven't gone uh, down the audible road yet. Uh, but what I will say is because of my experiences, um, all of the proceeds from my book get donated uh, to Camp Southern Ground uh, down in Georgia and Camp Resilience up here in New Hampshire because of the work that they do with military veteran and first responder transition. Mm. 
Again, Transition on Purpose is the title of the book. Before we uh, get to our final three questions, <clears throat> I'd like to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and throughout the month of December, 8 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Uh, we uh, are streaming at those times at richarddugan.com. And our podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other outlets across the uh, width and breadth and depth of, <laughs> of the internet. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these conversations. And we hope you'll subscribe and then, of course, click notifications so that when a new conversation is posted, you will be notified and we'll be able to listen in on uh, what we have to say. We uh, also ask uh, that uh, if you um, can support our work financially, we would be greatly appreciated. Uh, the, we have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. Richard at richarddugan.com is the email you want to put in to send the contribution. And also, if you can take some time, please take some time during this, the decade of perfect vision, to spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice as we talk about on each program. With all of that being said, let's get to our final three questions to our very special guest here on the program. And uh, um, I had heard it said, Dennis, uh, by uh, someone else who has served that there's a different phrase to use to recognize and acknowledge uh, a member of the military's service and it's not thank you for your service because I don't know. I, I can't even remember the reason, nor can I remember the alternate phrase uh, other than just saying thank you. But I thank never you. Forget. Never forget. Um. The first of the three questions I have for you is... I thought that was the first question. All no, right. that, was, <laughs> that was a sidebar question. <laughs> uh, who is can Dennis? I, can I answer that sidebar question a little bit further? Absolutely, you may. Absolutely, please. So never forget. But the other thing I would I would say, and it goes back to what I said a little bit earlier, is be a good human and ask them to share their story. Ah. Uh. Yes. Some may, some may not. But give them that time and space and give them that opportunity. I like that because that not only allows them to get that out and share it, but then you get to know more about what some of these folks have been through. And you're doing something you talked about earlier. You're building community. You're building community. All right. All right, so the first of the three questions that I have, getting off of the sidebar there, who is Dennis Volpe? So who is Dennis Volpe? Mm -hmm. Dennis Volpe is a husband. Uh, Dennis Volpe is an outdoor enthusiast. Uh, he's a washed-up rugby player. He's a washed-up lacrosse player. He's a recreational triathlete. He's a bourbon drinker. He's a uh, Traeger Grill guy. He's a small business and entrepreneurial investor. He's an author. He's a service academy grad. He's a retired naval officer. And he's a certified professional coach 
with the uh, Leadership Research Institute. What gets you out of bed in the morning? The ability to make a difference in the lives of other people. And finally, what was your best day? My best day. My best day is when I got married to my wife. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you again for sharing your story and the work that you are doing through the book that you have put together that you've written called Transition on Purpose. Uh, this has this has been a great uh, a great hour. I appreciate the opportunity, Richard. Thank you very much for having me on your show. You are very welcome, and we will stay in touch. And again, I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol. Jeanette, I'm still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. Smokey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my dear friend, Zorro, aho, aho.